this it? Mayday. Is it? Welcome, Mayday listeners. This is Justin. Thank you for joining us. We have a very special guest with us today for an interview. Uh, first time talking to her, so we really appreciate her coming on. We have the production designer, Elizabeth Williams, from The Handmaid's Tale, joining us today. Elizabeth, how are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. So this is your fourth Emmy nomination. You were nominated previously for your work on the show Fargo, and you won last year for your work on The Handmaid's Tale, your first Emmy win. So tell us how it feels being nominated again this year. Um, well, it's, you know, it's, it's a great honor to be nominated. There are so many shows that, that are up for, for this award and, and, you know, the selection process is, I think, quite arduous. So, so being, just being nominated is, is already, I find a great honor. Um, and then of course, a win is, is always, you know, kind of what you hope for. I think everyone hopes to win. Um, so so it's great, and it's great for for me, of course, but it's also great for for the team, um, for the art department, everyone else who's involved, because you know a win for the art department is also a win for everyone, really, um, truly, because you know if we win, it means that the lighting was great, it means that the acting was great, it means that you know the story was great, it means it means all of that, right? Um, so because without great acting, the sets, you know, aren't as as interesting to look at. I mean, that's that's the truth. So. So, yeah, you know, it's an honor for 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 me and for the show, I find. Um, and this year, I mean, this year is really great because uh, for there, I guess there were some rules that changed in the in the uh, academy, I guess, last year. And we were able to submit the last three episodes of season two. Um, and so we chose, uh, we chose the episode uh, called Holly and, um, you know, and I, I thought that, you know, since it, we had won for season two last year, I kind of, I kind of thought that, you know, the voters would, would pass us by, but, you know, we were nominated. So I'm, I'm really thrilled. I mean, it was a surprise to me, um, and so I'm happy. I'm very happy. So The Handmaid's Tale, everyone we've talked to, has been a kind of a different experience for people coming from previous productions. Uh, what's it been like working on The Handmaid's Tale as opposed to working on the shows that you previously worked on? Um, well, I've, I feel like I've either I've been lucky or they're all this way. Yeah, but I, I've, I've heard, you know, not horror stories, but I've heard, the, you know, shows that, that don't go very well. Um, I've been particularly lucky, I guess, on, you know, Fargo and on, you know, Channel Zero that I've worked on with NBC and, and now on The Handmaid's Tale, um, you know, some, you know, considerable shows that are big and that require a lot of, of management and a lot of people sitting around the table. Um, it, it runs well. I mean, people are very collaborative very respectful of, of everyone else's position and everyone else's input. Um, and it, it's, it's, it really is a, a good experience, you know, and a, a creative and collaborative experience. 
So you are from Canada, correct? Mm-hmm. I'm from Montreal, yeah. And what was your exposure to The Handmaid's Tale prior to working on the show? How did you become involved in the show? If you can talk about that. Well, my exposure was simply uh, that I'd read the book when I was in my late teens. Um, and then and then that was it. I mean, I hadn't really thought about it. Um, and I was working on Fargo um, in Calgary. And Warren Littlefield is the executive producer on The Handmaid's Tale, was also the executive producer on Fargo. And so um, I did the second season of Fargo as art director and then the third season of Fargo as production designer. And Warren um, invited me to come to The Handmaid's Tale. Um, um, truth be told, he actually invited me to to the work on the second season from the get go, and I wasn't able to. I wasn't able to do that. I had to go come home. I have two children at home that I, you know, I leave behind when I work on these projects. So I really did have to come home and take care of my family, and um, you know, it was it was needed and I think well deserved. And so I I declined and. The production hired Mark White, who did an excellent job in prep, and and then um, Mark had to leave the show uh, during the first week of shooting, I think. And so Warren gave me a call, and he said, "Have you spent enough time with your family yet? <laughs> and um, would you would you be willing, you know, if I asked you to come, you know, how quickly could you get here?" And so he called me on a Sunday. I think it was a Sunday night, and I was at work on Wednesday. Yeah, that's how I that's how I got to The Handmaid's Tale. Had you seen the show at that point before you got the call from Warren? Yes, because when he originally invited me to do the show, it was in May of the previous year, and so um, the show was actually on the air. So I watched a couple of episodes on the air, and then I watched them. Um, I watched them before I arrived to The Handmaid's Tale. I watched them in, you know, the first few days. I just watched, I binged them basically so that I could come to work and be, you know, sort of be knowing what I was doing, sort of. (laughs) Now, my next question was going to be about what you thought Warren saw in your work that he thought would work for The Handmaid's Tale. But during my research, I was looking at your bio from your website and it contained this line, which I think explains everything. Elizabeth has thrived on translating emotions, fears, obsessions, anguish, and manias into something visible and tangible. Sounds like a no-brainer to me. You know, honestly, um, Warren, in his position, um, was very, you know, quiet and observant. And originally, I kind of was, I had no idea what he what he saw in me. You know what I mean? When you're you know, when you're you're younger and I was kind of at the, the beginning of the, the the important, you know, more visible part of my career. And I, I, you know, and it was such an, like, seriously, an honor for him to, to offer this to me. Um, but yeah, I think I do bring, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I bring. Honestly, I, I think I do bring a certain sensitivity to, to, to the sets, I guess. Um, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated with um, psychology and um, people's, basically people's um, socioeconomic backgrounds and how that's translated in, into how they live 
Um, and so that you could apply that to any any circumstance and you're able to basically build or create a show, uh, a set that is multi-layered, you know. Um, and so that's what interests me. And I think Warren, another thing that Warren said, though, is that there's the creative part. But he said, you know, Elizabeth, he said, there are a lot of uh, production designers out there who are very, very creative. And then there are a lot of other production designers who are maybe less creative, but very, very good at, you know, managing a team. And he said, you're the perfect mix of both. You have, you have your, your left brain is just as strong as your right brain. And, and that's what we need. It was wonderful. I was like, Oh my goodness. So before we get too far into the handmaid's tale specific stuff, I just wanted to talk about kind of the role of the production designer and what that is and what you're responsible for that we see when we're watching the show. Okay, well, a production designer, I mean, basically takes the script and makes it visible, which means that depending on um, the action and depending on the description that's scripted of a certain space, uh, the production designer's role is to basically create an environment um, that best reflects, you know, the 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 story and the character and the action that's going to take place. And so basically it's like, it's like creating a, a nest in which the story unfolds. Let's take uh, Dr. Lawrence's house, for example. Um, and, and how, I mean, I think it reflects his multi-layered personality and his kind of, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There's, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of confusion um, in in exactly who uh, Commander Lawrence is, and by by making his environment so like dense with information, um, you're I think you're able to to give the viewer in addition to the action that's going on a sense of kind of um, doom maybe or, or or confusion as to what exactly he represents and so that's my job um my job is to you know with the colors and the the materials and the style uh the architecture the aesthetics of of everything my job is to is to make that tangible so you're responsible for a lot of what we see the props the art and the set it really covers a lot of ground Yes, exactly. All of those things, the artwork, um, all the props, all the set decoration. So, you know, all the set dressing, um, the plants. Um, and then when we go outside, the picture cars, uh, all that falls under the production design. And so how do you work and collaborate with the other departments when you're working to create the production design elements of the show? Do you work a lot together? You know, there's obviously the 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 directors and the DPs are involved in in you know creating the sh the look of the show. Um, you know, with the lighting, uh, we we have a, a dialogue about what's best, um, and then or the, like I don't know, for example, the types of windows or window dressing that we need. Uh, that they need, um, you know, we, we basically have this dialogue to make with the directors as well, you know, what, what layout um, best 
fits the action. You know, if I'll give you an example in the kitchen of uh, Commander Lawrence at one point, you know, there's a fireplace on the right of the kitchen. In the original design, we had created this kitchen that had the fireplace in the middle of the room and it was it was gorgeous and everyone agreed um, the, the the director agreed the dp thought it was wonderful and then as we got closer to 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 shooting the director started um working on his um on his shots and how he was going to make the actors come in and out and we realized or he realized that the fireplace was actually in the way um and it was in the eye lines and, you know, we, st- we we stood in the room and we looked, you know, we from every corner and it was kind of always in the way. So we moved it over to one side. So in that sense, there's a dialogue, you know, um, so the, the idea of the fireplace is mine. But then if it doesn't work, I, you know, I work with them to, to, to you know, to move it or if I have to, I get rid of it or whatever. Now, having started in season two of the show with some of the elements already in place, what kind of research did you do on your own and what did you take inspiration wise from in order to create the things we see on the handmaid's tale that we see in Gilead? Um, well, we did, we do a lot of research. Um, and I have a team, you know, that helps as well. Um, we pull out as many images as we can for whichever set that we are, we start, we're thinking about. Um, so for Gilead, when I first arrived, the first sets or the first world that I was responsible for was, um, the colonies in season two and the the barn in which um, the women live. And so that was my main focus uh, when I first arrived. Um, and for that, we did a lot of research on, you know, gulags and on World War II and concentration camps and labor farms. Um, and, and so we pull all these images together and put them up on a board. And we, did, we you know, we, we basically take inspiration um, and kind of like Margaret Atwood has said for her book, there's nothing in my book that doesn't come from reality that hasn't already happened. So we, we do the same. I mean, we, we're inspired by, by things that by reality and, and basically we, we, you know, we create our world based on a world that, that already exists. We take bits and pieces of different, you know, different environments and we create our own world. Now, you mentioned the colonies, and that was a very different look from the rest of Gilead. So what were some of those design elements that you used to create the look for the colonies? Um, well, if we if we talk about the field, uh, the colony, the, the work, um, the exterior work field, um, you know, for example, we we painted trees with biodegradable uh, paint. So, so we didn't ruin the trees, but we actually painted the trees brown so that they look, they would look like they were burnt. Um, We actually, we also um, uh, torched um, some, some, some saplings and had them, you know, placed uh, in the, in the field so that it would look like, you know, they had been contaminated um we we worked very with with uh, special effects to create um rivulets and had you know smoke coming out of the ground um what else did we do my goodness we that field that we found this location it was this old quarry that had been abandoned and so it was all overgrown with you know with weeds and trees and and whatnot so we had a section of it um 
mowed basically we had all the trees taken out and and all of the you know all of the weeds and the saplings taken out and then we worked the soil to make it look like a labor farm it was a huge endeavor and when we started the process there was snow we had to build a road to get us down to the pit it was it was it was a huge endeavor yeah and then when they're in the barn um that was a working barn and so the the farmer who was who who was there i mean there were pigs in the in the in the basement of the barn uh, you know the barn was full of hay and so he had we had the barn emptied we had it you know cleaned and made it worker friendly and we basically rebuilt the barn on the inside to make sure that there wouldn't be any you know any accidents and whatnot yeah and created these this you know uh, basically concentration camp like settings for the women now what are some of the design elements that maybe you can think of that uh, were maybe hidden away or that audiences may not have noticed on their first viewing that are maybe kind of things that you can think of that maybe we didn't see I think that you know especially in the in the world of Gilead um, other than commander Lawrence's house which which we've just talked about, most of the sets are very pure and there isn't much that isn't essential and isn't really supposed to be there and that the audience doesn't see. There aren't really that many hidden hidden treasures. The only thing um, that could be a bit of an Easter egg would be that in Commander Lawrence's kitchen, there is a painting by Vermeer, which was the inspiration color-wise for the colonies field. And that is just a bit of a, a clin d'oeil, you know, to, to season two, because we, we built uh, Lawrence's Kitchen in season three. And, and in season two, we used the Vermeers and, you know, the costume designer used Vermeer. Our department did... Uh, uh, Colin Watkinson did. We each had our own little painting that we were basing our our cre- creation on, and uh, mine was that one. And so it's it, it then it's I put it in the kitchen. So a couple of things that uh, were pointed out from season three, a couple Easter egg type things uh, that people pointed out were the statue that uh, Jezebel's that June uses ultimately to deliver that final blow that kills Commander Winslow. Uh, that appears to be a statue of a woman. And also there is a wooden screen that is kind of between the bedroom and the living area that appears to have a swastika design in it. Uh, can you tell us about those and whether those are accurate depictions or not? And uh, if those were intentional choices you all made for the show? Those are accurate um, descriptions. Um, the statue is a art department creation. Um, we actually worked on 10 different um prototypes of statuettes and that was the one that was um that was chosen and in the end by the director we the our our sculptor had made 10 i chose three and the director preferred that one so that is the one that we ended up um using um it is it is the statue of a woman it it is to represent um you know fertility but in that very brutalist dictatorial world. So it's a combination of fertility and, you know, harsh dictatorship. So the screen 
in all honesty, was a a happy mistake in the sense that we had designed in season two, we had designed a screen for Jezebel's. And when we when we did the first design, um, it, w- it was just something geometric. And then when we put all of the, basically when we repeated the image, we noticed that it basically created a swastika. And then we thought, okay, are we going to keep it or are we going to change it? And it was a conscious creative decision to keep it because it was subtle enough that, you know, only certain viewers were going to recognize it. And, and, you know, we didn't want to make it a thing, but we didn't want to get rid of it either. And so this year when we did, when we built the room, we built that room in the studio. And so, you know, we built the screen um, that was around the bed and, and all the doors and, and we kept the same design intentionally. And so it's one of those things that I always love to see when I read, you know, commentary from people on the internet who, who are real fans of the show, who will, you know, catch things. I think it's fantastic. So there are times where you get to go beyond the walls of Gilead to places like Canada and the colonies. Talk about the different approaches you have to take when you're going to different locations like that and the inspiration that uh, you put in for those places. Um, it is... It is a challenge to to keep our world separate, right? We have Gilead, we have Canada, we have Boston, and this year we had Washington. And so, and so, yeah, uh, Canada is. I find that contemporary um, sets are always a bit of a challenge because to make them, you know, aesthetically pleasing yet make them realistic there's a fine line, you know, so if we take, you know, sets like Little America, which we wanted very messy and Luke's apartment is, you know, full of, full of objects and, you know, plants and, and it's just kind of chaotic, but yet it has to remain, you know, something that people want to watch. Um, You know, it has to remain aesthetic, right? There's always that delicate balance that we have to keep. Um, we also, it's important for us to keep a contrast between Gilead and Canada so that when the story switches from one to the other, that the difference is obvious um, on the screen. I mean, other than that, it's important to us is that since we shoot in and around Toronto, we're very careful with the choices of our locations. And uh, now I've worked on 26 episodes. So after 26 episodes or when we are at the 26, you, we kind of feel like we're kind of running out of, of of choices or that we've made a mistake because we've chosen a location that was, you know, that would have better served as Gilead than, than, than Canada, for example. So it's always a bit of a struggle, I have to say, to keep all those things separate and make the right choices at the right time. Um, obviously the, the locations that we look for and that we choose um, represent the hierarchy between the commanders and the, and the power that they, that they have. There's that. And so, you know, and then we also partially work with the locations that we find, you know, there, there is a compromise sometimes that is made 
to reach our goal. So if you take, for example, you know, uh, Commander Lawrence and Commander Waterford or Commander Lawrence and um, Commander Winslow. So those choices are about power and they are about personality. You know, Lawrence was a professor. He's lived in this house with his wife even before Gilead. So it is, you know, it's filled with not only the art that he's stolen or taken from museums, but also things that he's collected over the years. There's a certain warmth, um, a professorial-like feel to the house. Commander Winslow, on the other hand, you know, he's at the top of the food chain and he's got this gigantic, um, opulent home that is filled with, you know, again, art and pool table and, you know, it, it breathes wealth. And so those are the kinds of things that we look for when we look for our locations. Although Commander Lawrence, I have to say, was built in the studio, but it was, it was based on, on an original house. Now, another awesome thing everybody loved this season was we finally got to go outside of the Boston area of Gilead and get into Washington, D.C., which was amazing and got, I'm sure, offered you a lot of freedom to do some different things. Um, it really had this overpowering sense of dread and you know how much worse things could be outside of what we've seen in Gilead already. Let's talk about that and what went into creating mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Well, that here's a perfect example of, of how all the departments bring their art to the table to create an, an ambiance that, you know, tells a story. The creation of Washington is basically derived from the script. Uh, the Lincoln Memorial is scripted. There was no other way for us to do it. It, it, it is a story point. Um, the way that the art department and the rest of production added to that element is by choosing locations like the train station and stripping them of everything that wasn't essential um, and replacing with Gilead flags, with, you know, guards and, and military vehicles and this regimented way uh, the actors moved, you know, in rows and columns and all of those things put together gave that sense of dread that Washington had. Has there ever been any specific requests from actors when it comes to the production design? Because you always hear about the actors having these deep backstories for their characters plotted out. Uh, so have you had any of them come to you with special requests, anything specific that they thought would lend to the production of their character? Um, actually, the that happened once. Um, other than that, the actors are very receptive of uh, what we what we build for them. Um, it's never happened that they've been, you know, unhappy or, or confused or have said, this is not who I am. I don't understand the set. Um, on the contrary, they've always said, oh my goodness, this helps me be, you know, uh, my character, this, uh, you know, so, so that's been really great. Um, I did have one really great um, exchange with Bradley Whitford about um, about his character when we built um, his his office, because when we started the show, we didn't have all the scripts. And so um, as, as the episodes went on, um, we added to the house and the office came a little bit later. I think it was in episode four. 
I think. Um, and and we were discovering Commander Lawrence at the same time as Bradley was. And there was, you know, we kept having to adjust um, to, to who we thought he was. Um, and so in, in creating his office, I had a talk with him about, you know, who he thought he was and, and what, what is it that he was going, he would have been doing in this office because the the script doesn't tell us this. Um, You know, it'll give us one scene, but it doesn't really tell us what the background is or, or so, so it was interesting because at that particular moment, he was, he was not struggling, but he was, he was thinking about his character and I was thinking about, what his office should look like. And together, um, we, we, we just talked about it and, and, and it was great. It was really great. So we got to talk to your editor, Wendy Hallam Martin. Uh, she's also nominated for creative, creative arts Emmy this weekend. And we were talking a little bit about the return to more practical effects and using CGI only in places where it's deemed necessary or, uh, not as cost effective as doing things practically. So talk to us about that, and if you're seeing that in production design elements as well, because that's so much what we're seeing on the screen these days. Yeah, I've noticed that as well in the last few years. Um, you know, a few years back, maybe, I don't know, 10 maybe, there was this big, you know, push to do things CGI. It was, you know, it was new, it was extraordinary, and I guess we thought that we could do things with CGI that we couldn't do without um, but there's definitely a trend to go back to uh, mechanical effects r- rather than visual effects. And, uh, you know, that's the same with snow or water or smoke. Yes, definitely smoke because it doesn't it doesn't look right. And the thing is, is people are now demanding and rightly so, you know, now that most of our entertainment is on television, I think the audience is very critical of, of what they watch. And, you know, fake smoke looks like fake smoke. And it takes you out of the action and, and you know, makes you focus on the smoke rather than what's going on. And, and we don't want that. I mean, CGI still is important. You know, they sometimes, um, actually not all, it's essential, um, especially, for example, on a show like The Handmaid's Tale, Let's say we're we're dressing a street um, for a Gilead scene. I mean, the art department will take care of all of the signage um, that is to about 10 feet, maybe 12 in the air. But anything that is above that, be it street signs or posters and windows or things that we don't want to see, CGI comes in behind and and erases it for us because we can't. It would be impossible and sometimes it's we're not even allowed to physically remove it so they have to remove it in post same thing with snow you know sometimes um our our special effects will blanket a location with snow but then the crew is walking on it and it's just it's and so cgi will come in in post and just clean it up for us you know and make it look just make it look perfect so it's again it's collaboration all right. Well, well, do you have any upcoming projects that you'd like to talk about? Anything on the horizon for you beyond Handmaid's Tale? Well, I actually am going to do season four of The Handmaid's Tale. So that's what's coming up for me. I chose to, um, to again, to stay home and take care of my children this summer. So I will go from season three directly into season four. 
And then we'll see. Maybe uh, maybe it'll be the Testaments, Margaret Atwood's new book, or I don't know. I don't know. Can't wait to read it. Well, we definitely look forward to any news forthcoming about that, obviously. And we thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We really, really appreciate it. Have a good one and best of luck at the Emmys. Thank you so much. 